There are some brave souls here today. I thought for sure I was going to be the only one here. I was kind of hoping I'd be the only one here. No, I'm just kidding. Whew, it is cold, cold, cold. I uh, always get asked, um, do you miss it? Do you miss playing on Sundays? And I was watching the game last night, and I can emphatically say no. Not at all. Back then, I was really tough. Like, if I would have been playing last night, I would have, I hope you haven't had breakfast because it'll make you sick, but I'd be like in a half shirt with no sleeves because that's what old linemen do. Although uh, Miami, four of them had sleeves on. It was pretty weak. You would have got a fine in ours. Uh, if I was playing today, I think I'd have a, a uh, Carhartt onesie on under my pads because it was brutal. So, uh Thank you guys for, for braving the cold and, and coming out here today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jason Whittle. I, uh, I have the privilege of serving as one of the, uh, one of the elders here. And uh, if you are from here, you know that um, I'm not usually one up here. J- Jay or Brian are usually ones up here teaching. And a lot of people get Brian and I uh, mixed up. Brian is the good-looking one and the smart one. Uh, I'm just filling in. So they're both gone, and, uh, and so you're stuck with me. So please, if you're new, come back so you can hear some really gifted teaching. I, I am not gifted in speaking, and when I say speaking, I don't mean public speaking or teaching. I mean speaking. Most of the time you can ask my wife, I grunt and, and uh, just kind of, it sounds like I talk with a bunch of marbles in my mouth, and I don't hear so well, so... You can pray for her. I, we, we have a hard time communicating because I don't hear or talk very well. So anyway, the good news is we're going to be in God's Word. So hopefully that'll, uh, that'll overcome any of my deficiencies. Uh, you know that if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we are getting ready to start Genesis, which I am so excited about. We've, we did this a long, long time ago, and... Uh, I want to just encourage you to, to be here as much as you can over the next year. It is so rich. It really sets the stage for the entire, what God is getting ready to do and what he's done and what his story is all about. It really sets up the whole, the whole Bible. And so it is really rich. Please get there uh, as much as you can. It's going to be awesome. So uh, today, we're going to spend most of our time in Matthew uh, not yet, but we're going to uh, we're going to spend most of our time there. Before we do that, let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, just thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you, uh, thank you for your relentless pursuit of our heart, God. Just that you uh, love us, that you surround us by people who love you and uh, love us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for our community. Uh, thank you for the opportunity just to serve uh, others through your word and through, through our lives. And I just pray that as we, uh, as we uh, go through your words today, Lord, as we go through your word, that it would be you and not me, and that uh, we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. And so we're just in awe of your love for us and awe of what you uh, continue to do here and through the potter's house. And we just pause and give you thanks and say we love you in Jesus' name. So before we get into the scripture... I want to make sure that we have a, we kind of have a basic understanding of God's heart and what God is, 
is desiring from us. So many people, they, they, they look at the Bible and they think of it as a book that tells us you know, uh, kind of how to live, a moral compass, if you will. Uh, don't do this. Don't do that. Uh, do this. Don't do that. And the Bible, although it, it, it has some things about how you sh- should live best, it, it's absolutely that's not the, the real purpose of that. Uh, it's this idea, we, we have it really confused, especially here in the United States, about what we do and why we do it. And so we're going to touch on that a lot today. We, we want to understand that we don't do these things. We, we, we don't serve God so that we might be loved by God, but because we are loved by God. They are the evidence of our faith, the evidence of our love. We don't pray so that we might be loved. We pray because we are loved by God. We don't sing so that we might be loved by God. We don't serve in different ways. We don't serve. We don't serve in the kids' ministry so that we might have a relationship with Christ, but because we do have a relationship with Christ. We don't have all these different ministries here at the Potter's House so that we might have a relationship. We do it because we do have a relationship with Christ. All those things, the food pantry, CR, children's ministry, giving, and on and on. We don't do good deeds so that we might be loved or so that one day I can be loved. We already are. If I'm just this good or if I just do this. No, it's all those things or out of the overflow, the relationship we already have. They are the evidence. And if we're trying to do all those things, if we're trying to do church without relationship, if we're trying to do all those things without surrendering, if we're trying to do life for Jesus without doing life with Jesus, then one of two things tend to happen. Either one, we, we burn out, we feel shame, we, we really struggle to keep it all going, right? We keep, struggle to keep all the balls in the air because it's impossible to live the Christian life without the source. Or two, we become self-righteous. We see ourselves better than we ought to, and we see others around us with this judgmental lens. I don't know why they aren't serving. I don't know why they aren't doing this or not doing that or The thing is that God's not calling us to live this moral life, but a life of surrender. And when that happens, the good things just flow out of us instead of it being forced out of us or from our own strength. He doesn't call us to be morally good. I mean, that's going to be the evidence of it, but that's not the goal. The goal is to spend time with him, to seek him, to make him the object of our hearts. And so we, as we look at the Scripture today, it becomes really evident, or just any day, is that God is continually trying to show us that it's a heart thing, that it's about our hearts. It's not about checking boxes. And here in the U.S., we're, we're very linear thinking, right? I'm really linear thinking. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Give me, you know, give me a list. Just give me the instructions, and I'll do it. Anyone relate to that? Yeah. That's me. I'm a box checker by heart. I'm pretty disciplined at times, and so just tell me what to do, and I can do it. And God says, no, that's not it. That's, that's not what I desire. And so what God does desire, uh, in Hosea we see that God says, 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You see, even back then, God's people were really good at all this ritual stuff that God had called them to do, sacrifices and doing this and doing that, but their hearts had turned from them, and it was really evident. They were checking the boxes, and God says, no, I want your heart, not your actions. You see, God knows that if, that if he has our hearts, the action is going to happen out of the overflow. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus actually references these two scriptures in his ministry. We see it two different times, both in Matthew and Matthew. Uh, the first time he's eating, tax, he's eating with, not eating tax collectors, he's eating with, he's eating with tax collectors. And these Pharisees, these religious leaders are saying, they're like, doesn't, doesn't he know? You know, they're whispering and they're, don't you know who you're eating with? And Jesus, you know what he says? He says, hey, you need to go and, you guys think you know the Bible so well, you know Scripture so well. Why don't you go back and read Malachi 3.10? Why don't you go back and read this Scripture? What I desire is not is not your sacrifices. It's not your action. What I'm desiring is your heart. The second time we see it is, is he's, uh, he's feeding his disciples on the Sabbath. They're going through and they're picking up food and they're eating. And again, the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they're reprimanding him. And again, he, he takes them back to that. He, or he takes them back to Hosea. I said, I said Malachi, it's not Malachi. He takes him back to Hosea, and he says, go look what this means. Go look up, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's telling him to go check your heart. And that's, that's what he continues to do. It's a heart thing. We talk about it almost every week in the junior high. We talk about it with the kids before we sing, that singing is a form of worship, but only, only, if our hearts are right. If the object of my heart while I'm singing is Jesus, then it's worship. If it's not, then it's not. We talk about that most things can be a form of worship, right? Most things we do can be a form of worship if what we're doing is to glorify God. If he is the object of what we're trying to glorify. And I need, I need to be reminded of this often in my own life. I've started in my mind not thinking about it as reading the Bible but spending time with God by reading my Bible. It's just this mindset thing that I need to do because at times I'm reading my Bible, I might as well be reading a Sports Illustrated. God's like, that's not what I want. I'm checking a box. He's saying, that's not what I want. That's not what I desire. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want your heart. And so as we get into the message today, I just want to make sure that we are looking at it through this lens. That God wants our heart. He wants all of us. And it's really important we look at it through that. And so, if you would, if you want to stand and read, we're going to get into, we're going to get into our verse for the day. Verses for the day. It's Matthew 6, 19 through 24. If you want to read with me. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The, eyes of the, lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. 
So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay, you can sit down. Please, nobody run out of church. Don't tune me out. Hear me out on this. I, I get it. There is a lot of baggage with money in churches, and rightfully so. Lots of churches either don't teach on it for fear they're going to offend somebody, or others teach something that, that frankly just isn't biblical. And they're all over in today's churches in the U.S., uh, this whole movement of health and, and wealth movement, this idea that God wants us to be healthy and wealthy, and so I just have to have more faith or give more money. And, and honestly, that's heresy. It's so unbiblical. And so I get it. There's, there's a lot of baggage when it comes to giving, to money, to how we think about money. But here's the thing, guys. When we don't teach on money, on generosity, on giving... First and foremost, we're not very biblically sound. Think about this. The Bible talks about prayer about 500 times. The Bible talks about faith about 500 times. Both of those are super important when you think. Faith, prayer, pretty important. He talks about them 500 times. Guess what he talks about over 2,000 times? Money. That's right, money. You, you think God thinks it's important? He knew that we were going to struggle with it. He knew that we were going to try to make that our security. He knew that we were going to ultimately try and make that our God. And so if we aren't teaching on it, we aren't aligning ourselves with God's Word, and we aren't very biblically sound. And so we want to look at it through that same lens. The other thing is, the second thing is, if we aren't doing it, is, is if that we are robbing are people of this unbelievable joy and blessing of living a life of generosity. Not that we need it because, because God's Word says it over and over again, but, but even psychological studies today show that the happiest people in the world are those who live generously, who give and serve others. Those are the happiest people. And, and the people who are the most miserable are the people in this world who are all about themselves, who hold on to everything. They fear of losing everything. In the psychological world, it's like they had this major breakthrough in the last 10 years, and it's like if you had read God's Word, you would have figured that out about 2,000 years ago. Some other things just to consider as we, as we think about money. It's the only subject where God says, test me. Listen to Malachi 3.10. That's where I got the Malachi 3.10, not Hosea. Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. It's the only verse in the Bible where God says, test me. Everybody, every other way in the, everywhere else says, do not test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's the only exception. He tells us not only is it okay to test him, but he encourages us to do it. Basically, he's saying, do what I ask you to do about giving and see if I don't bless you in an amazing way. Now, I want to be clear. I want to be really clear. 
God is not saying that tithing is going to guarantee you that you're going to be financially prosperous as it pertains to human standards. If that was true, then tithing wouldn't be an act of giving. It would be, it'd be a good investment, right? The other thing that he's not saying is he's not saying that it's his insurance policy, that, that you're never going to have a job loss or that your retirement fund may not go away or, or, or your finances may not go down. He, he's, not, he's saying it's... It's not, a fine, it's not an insurance policy. But what he is saying is over the long term, a person who ties, who lives generously, is going to be more blessed because they have the right understanding about money, because their heart is right as it pertains to money. Money won't be their master, so they're going to be able to live this free and blessed life. Again, he's talking about our heart, our anxiety, our worry, our needs. Some other things to consider is uh, looking at just at Jesus' ministry, one in ten verses in the New Testament has something to do with money. Of the 36 parables that Jesus gave, 16 had to do with our attitude towards it. 25% of Jesus' teaching discussed financial things. You think it's important? Pretty important. What's interesting, when you look at Jesus' teaching, is that he's always going after the heart. Always, not just in money, everything. He's, he's not going after the action. He's not going after the list, the checklist. He's always going deeper to the root, to the heart. Just a couple of, you, you could spend all day up here, but just a couple of those are uh, examples of those are Matthew 5.21. Jesus says, you have heard, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. It's more than just the action, right? It's going after the heart. Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's more than just the action. It's the heart. Matthew 19, the, the rich run, young ruler, right, he, he asks him, he says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus says, obey the commandments, obey them all. And young guy fires back, yeah, yeah I've, I've done that, I, I do those things. Jesus says, well then, go sell all your belongings, give it to the poor, and follow me. And it says the young guy, the young ruler went away sad. Because he had many possessions. Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew all the things he had, his wealth, that that was his security. It's not that those things were bad. I'm not saying that he's asking us to necessarily do that. But where is our security? That was the object of his heart. And Jesus' teaching shows us that what the law was supposed to reveal, that you can't do it on your own strength. You can't try hard enough. God doesn't want the boxes checked. He wants our hearts and he wants all of us. And so Jesus' teaching is really clear on that. Jesus also knew that how we think about money, how we perceive money, was going to have a tendency to do one of two things for us. It was either going to, it was either going to be really toxic and destructive, or two, it could be really freeing and life-giving. And so for it to be, obviously, we want to live a life that's freeing and life-giving, right? But, but to do that, there's some things that we have to understand. There's some basic principles that we have to understand if we're going to think biblically correctly about money. 
And the first is this, that everything is God's. Everything we think is ours belongs to him. Our money, our cars, our homes, our spouses, even our kids. Think about that. Your kids really aren't yours. He's loaned them to you so that you can prepare them to shoot them out into the world to glorify him and to make disciples. They're his. Everything is his. The first two chapters, we're going to be getting into this over the next over the next several weeks, but uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, it makes it really clear. God has created everything, and everything is his. We own nothing. He's placed us over everything, which is pretty awesome, to be stewards of his things, but everything that's placed in our care is to bring him glory, not us. God doesn't need our money. I'll be really clear. God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our gifts. He gave them to us. He spoke the world into existence. Think about that. He doesn't need us to give him money. If he can speak the universe into existence, he doesn't need us to give him money. Let's go back to verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, don't make your treasure where things are going to be taken from you. Make your treasure where things can't be stolen from, where things can't be destroyed. Don't put all this energy into this stuff that, at the end of the day, really isn't that important. You ever thought about how much energy and time we spend, uh, all the headspace that our stuff takes up? Especially the nice stuff, right? Like, if you're like me, you research it, we compare it, we look at it, we think about it, then we buy it, and then we take care of it. And we spend a lot of time taking care of it. Sometimes we spend more money to put things in it to make sure it's really taken care of. And so... And we're so excited to get it, right? We feel good. It makes us feel good. It's this weird endorphin that happens. And when that ha- but, but after time, what happens? It gets old. Something newer and better comes out. We lose interest. So we start it all over again, right? We start all over with the next, the next thing that's going to bring us fulfillment, joy. The cycle's never-ending. And again, am I saying we can't have nice stuff? Absolutely not. Those things are a gift from God. They just make terrible gods. We have to guard our hearts to make sure they aren't consuming us. As, as humans, you know, we have this interesting mentality that uh, if we just had enough money, right? Have you ever thought that in your mind? I know I have. If I just had enough money, then I can do this or then I can do that. I can start giving then or I... I can start giving then once I get to this, or I, I'll start living generously then. And you know what that amount is? You know what that enough is? It's, it's the same for almost everyone. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. That's what we think. It, it, we never have enough. Money was never intended to be the source of our security. It was never intended to bring, be this thing that was going to bring us joy. And he's saying, God's telling us, don't invest in these things that ultimately leave us empty. Instead, he says, invest in eternal rewards. Invest in the kingdom. Take care of those in need. 
When you do that, it's going to be, you're going to be so fulfilled. So how do we do that? How do we invest in the kingdom? Well, if you look at God's word, uh, starting in the Old Testament, actually before that, even before the Old Testament, it talks about a tithe, a 10%. Why, why, why 10%? The tithe is actually a Hebrew word that literally means 10%. And the first time we see it, it's before God's law is even on the scene, is that we see Abraham in Genesis 14 give 10% of everything he had just won in a battle to Melchizedek, who, who most people believe was Jesus. Abraham understood that, that it wasn't his in the first place. And so he gives 10% away. We see it again in Genesis 28, 22. Jacob says, everything the Lord gives me, I will give a tenth to. Notice how Jacob, Jacob understands that everything he has comes from God. Tithing then becomes a part of God's law in Leviticus 27, 30, Deuteronomy 14, and then, again, we already saw it in Malachi. We're not going to go back and read those, but I'd encourage you to do that this week. Go back and read Leviticus 27.30. Go back and read Deuteronomy 14.22 and again Malachi. But the summary really of those verses that the law was given and seems to be an expression of gratitude to God who provided everything. It was part of a worship and to celebrate God's goodness and something that God used to teach his people to trust him. He uses it as a tool so that we put our trust in him, not in ourselves or not in our our finances. He knew we were going to need it. Jesus then comes on the scene, and again, he, he like he always does, he shows us it's really a heart thing, but he also, he also Jesus holds up the tithe. We see in Matthew 23, 23, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He's saying you, you should do both. He's saying you, you should do that, but, man, it's more about justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That other stuff is, is for sure you do it, but again, it goes back to our heart. Once Jesus ascends, once he's once he's taken up into heaven, we see in the early church that it's not just tithing. It's not just this, uh, it's not about legalistic giving, but rather it's about radical generosity. Radical generosity. They're taking care of one another. They're, they're, they're giving even though they have very little. They're taking care of their own. They're taking care of strangers. There's an awesome story of a guy named Caesar Hadrian who became Caesar of Rome around 117 A.D. It says that he was a religious man. He wasn't a Christian, but he was, he was religious. And he built the Temple of Venus. And, and he was so concerned about this really small uh, group called the Way. They were growing really quick, and the Way was just what they called the early Christians. So he's concerned about the Christians. He's hearing all this stuff about the Christians, and so he sends out a man, a spy basically, if you will, to get to the bottom of, of why these people of God are so different. And in the letter, the guy writes back, the spy writes back to Caesar, and, he, and this is basically what he wrote. He says, they love one another, and he who has gives to him 
who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there is among them any that are poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply the needy with their lack of food. Such, O king, is the manner of life, and verily this is a new people, and there is something divine in the midst of them. That's radical generosity. That's, that's what he's after over and over again. What God is after is our heart and just this, just this generosity. It's not about checking the boxes. So, so how do we know? How do we know if we're really living generously? Well, what's really cool about this text is it actually, it actually shows us how we can know where our heart is on this matter. You want to know where your heart is? You want to know what you, you want to know what you what you want? Where your heart really is? Look at verse 21. Verse 21 it says, "For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." If you want to know where a person's heart is, look at their finances. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart, just look at your finances. We need to look at our checkbooks, our bank statements, our credit card statements. Are the things that we're spending our money on, are we investing in the kingdom? Are they kingdom related? Or are they all about me and my comforts? Again, he's not, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, he's not saying, you can't have nice things. You can't have things. He's not saying, we all need you to be, or he wants us all to be super poor. Those things are a gift from God. They're good gifts. We just have to make sure that we're putting them in the correct importance. Make sure that I'm loving the giver, not the gift. God's saying, watch your heart. Don't put those things over him. Are we replacing our security and our joy and our purpose that should come from him? Or are we spending more on ourselves and our pleasures than we are for kingdom things? Wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. Let's keep reading. Verses 22 and 23. It says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And that seems kind of weird, but all he's saying is how you see money matters. And if you see money in the wrong light, it's destructive. It will own you. It will drive you. It will lead you to perverse things. So we need to strive to see money correctly. And so how should we see it? First, that God owns it all and he's entrusted to it to use it for his glory. Second, that our treasures should be stored up in heaven, not on things down here. And third, that money makes a terrible God. To desire or long for it leads to death and destruction. It's not bad in and of itself. It can be a great thing, but to love it is the root of all evil. Look at verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He ends with, you will be unable to serve God in money. It's impossible. You will love one and hate the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. It goes right along with 1 Timothy 6.10. 
the love of money is the root of all evil. Not Money is not the root of all evil, but it's the love of money. It's the heart thing. You can't serve God and money. I love Paul's view on it. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. He says, Paul says this, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love that. God loves a cheerful giver. You know what cheerful in the Greek means? I didn't know this. I don't know Greek, but I read it. You know what cheerful in the, in the Greek means? It means hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Think about that. What does a hilarious giver look like? I think about that. I think about somebody who's just so overly excited to bless other people. Somebody that it makes no sense. And following Jesus, frankly, just doesn't make much sense in today's world. It's not about you. It's about him and others. And so to be a hilarious giver, I think about that. That's, just, that's what I want to be. I want to be a hilarious giver. I've been around a few of those people, and they are awesome. It's true. They have so much joy, so much happiness. I mean, it just exudes out of them. The other part of that is, though, is you don't want to give. God doesn't want you to give. It says don't give under compulsion. You should never give because someone guilted you into it, right? Like don't give because I'm, I'm teaching you on it. How should you give? Hilariously, cheerfully. I remember when this truth sank in, we, we used to go to this thing called PAO. It was a conference, that really cool conference Nat and I used to go to every year. And this guy, Don Christensen, he was the financial speaker. And he, he taught on this, and he did, a, he did a phenomenal job. It was the first time I'd really heard someone do a really good job on teaching on money. And he used to say, just keep writing checks until it feels good. <laughs> just keep writing them until it feels good. Eventually, it's going to feel good. And so that's... I'm not kidding you, like, this was one of the last things that God, like, changed in my heart. And when he did, it changed everything. It, it, it's unbelievable. And so where are we finding that cheer? It's in the, gen I want you to think about the generosity of God toward us. And the reality that we've been giving much to steward, that God has entrusted to us these things. Why do we give? What motivates us? It's not a guilty conscience. We're not trying to earn favor. We're not trying to validate ourselves as good people by being generous. We're not trying to get pats on the back or gain tax dedu deductions. Not that that's a bad thing, right? Taxes, like, I think church does a much better job of stewarding our money than the government does. But none of those are why we give. It's because he loves us. It's because of he's so generous, so radically generous towards us. I love several of those songs we sang today that he is generous towards us. Think about, think about it for a moment. All the, just the little crazy generous things he does. Like I think about his beauty all over the place. I don't know if you've ever been to Yosemite, but it is one of the most, like to think that God created that. He didn't, he didn't have to create beauty, but he did so that we could enjoy it. And you stand there and you feel so small because this place is so big and so beautiful, yet it's this, this, this little tiny speck on earth. And then you start thinking about the universe. You start thinking about like, on a, like if you're in Yosemite at night and you see the stars, 
Like you forget how big the universe is. And all that is so that we can see his beauty and realize how awesome he is to us. Think about the pleasure of food. Like, why does food taste so good? It's because God is blessing us. He doesn't need to make food taste good. Like, everything could taste like, well, there's really nothing I don't like. Uh, I'm a terrible person. That's what my friends always say. I like everything. So, but it would be kind of like Brussels. A lot of people don't like, I love Brussels sprouts. A lot of people like Brussels sprouts. Everything could taste like Brussels sprouts, but they don't. It's this unbelievable blessing. There's lots of things like sex inside the, the covenant marriage is this awesome blessing, this awesome, beautiful thing, only inside marriage. But it's like there's all these things that he gives us as these generous blessings. He is the ultimate gift giver. We understand that he's given us much. He's entrusted us with much. We understand that he's poured out grace upon grace on us, right? We understand that he came down from his throne to, to be this little infant, to be poured out as a sacrifice for you and me, to pay our penalty that we couldn't pay. We have received generosity in such amazing ways that we become overwhelmed by God's generosity to us. And so then it just over, it's like everything else, it just overflows out of us. That generosity should just be overflowing out of us. But as broken people, right, a lot of times we just want to stand right on the line. Well, if I give this much, that's what's required. If I just stand on this side of the line and sin's over there, and I'm not just talking about money, it's really all matters, right? It's a heart issue. It's not a very freeing way to live. Instead of asking, you know, how much do I have to give? We should be asking, how much can I give? There's two different, really different trains of thoughts there, two different processes. Generosity enables us to participate in these massive, God-sized, awesome things. Our church, I am so excited for what is going on here at the Potter's House. There are so many people who are living this out daily. We, I mean, you just can't control what people are like what God is doing th through them. It's just so exciting. When we give generously to our churches, when we give generously to our fellow brothers in need, our neighbors who are in need, our missionaries, total strangers. Truly, it's really not about giving 10 or 20 or 90. God absolutely, like we should be giving 10, but, it, but it's not about that. I think it can be a lot more strategic in that we look for opportunities outside of that, in addition to that. That's when we start to live generously. God's after our heart. He wants to form it and make this generous heart. Are you a cheerful, hilarious giver? And if you're not, ask him to make you one. And I know some, some of us in this room, we are just like, like if the statistics show that so many of us are just, we're stuck in debt. We're paralyzed by debt. Hopefully, uh, we've been doing, uh, the church several times have done uh, Dave Ramsey Financial Peace. It is this awesome tool to help you get on the right side of finances, to start thinking about them correctly, to start helping you get out of debt so that ultimately we can live generously. And again, it's not about not having stuff, but when that stuff keeps us from living generously, then we're not living inside God's will. And so if you need help with that, as a church, uh, 
please talk to Matt Cody. He, uh, Matt Cody is in charge of that. I know we don't have one going on right now, but we, we still have some resources and we have some ability to get you some things that are awesome tools. And so we would love to do that as a church. And lastly, I, I just want you to understand, truly, there's no hidden agenda here. We aren't building a new building. We aren't taking up a special offering. We don't need more. Uh, we, we truly don't. Our, our church is so blessed. I, I'm not standing up here so that I get paid. Elders don't get paid. We want to make sure, we want to make sure that we are teaching God's word, all of it. And we want to make sure that we are not robbing our people, we want to make sure we're not robbing you of the blessing of living a life of generosity. Because it is vastly different than from what the world says. It's vastly different. It's true fulfillment. It's true life. It's not this pseudo-life that if you watch TV and you listen to stuff, everything that gets pushed towards us, we, we think that we're going to be fulfilled through that. And the reality is, is time after time, it just always wants us, it always leaves us wanting more. And so I just want to encourage you to, uh, if you're married, go home and, and talk to your spouse. Not in a, make sure, you know, I told you you shouldn't buy those clothes. Like, like that's not going to help anything. But at some point, go home, come up with a plan, come up with a strategy. Think about just pray together. Think about what God wants you to do with your money. Are there people that you know that are in need? Uh, are, there, are you holding on to it tight? Because I promise you it's so freeing. It's so life-giving. And that's why God teaches on it so much. It's the most talked about subject because he knows our hearts. And he knows that we're going to put our trust in that instead of him. And that's detrimental. And so that's my prayer for you guys today. I hope you guys enjoy the game later on. Love that you guys brave this. We love you. Go out and get them, Potter's House. Thank you.